0: Everyone, and welcome back to The Untold Story. I'm Martha McCallum. Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to visit East Palestine, Ohio, a year after the toxic train derailment left residents of the town reeling. While there, I was joined by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who joined us for a discussion on his presidential candidacy, why he chose to create the We the People Party, and whether he thinks he can win running as an independent. Good to have you here, sir. Thank you for being here today.
1: (coughs) Thank you for having me, Martha.
0: So, I'm going to try to get through a number of issues with you, if I may. I think a lot of people uh, have heard what you think about free speech and vaccines, but I want to get into some other issues that maybe they're not so familiar with in terms of where you stand on those. But first of all, I want to ask you about the big issue, which is electability, and how you could pull this off as an independent candidate, which obviously has never been done in the country. So you're on three state ballots right now. How are you going to get on the others? I know you've started your own We the People Party, and then there's a libertarian area where you could get on ballots in that way as well. What's the plan and how quickly will it happen?
1: We're going to be announcing new states every week from now on. We're way ahead of our benchmarks. We will be on the ballot in 50 states and the District of Columbia. Um, we have, I, I think we have 80,000 volunteers now on the ground. So we're, we're collecting ballots much more quickly. Uh, I'll give you an example. In New Hampshire, we expect that it would take us a week to get 3,000 ballots. Our signatures, we got 5,000 in a single day. So uh, we're finding it extraordinarily easy, actually, to uh, to persuade people to sign, and, uh, and we're ahead of all of our expectations.
0: Okay, so to win the presidency, you need 270 electoral votes. Uh-huh. To get one electoral vote, you have to win a state. So tell me the states that you can win in the election in November.
1: Well, we have, uh, we have I think, 24 states that we need to win. And those are the states with the closest margins during the last election. And, you know, at, in Michigan, I'm already at 27% of the vote. All I need to do technically is to get to 34% of the vote in order to win. Because if it's a three-way race, you can win with 34. You pro- we probably won't have to get more than 39 to win. Um, and we're increasing... Our uh, our our percentages by about a point a month since August. Uh, we already in the in the um, in the major states in the in the six uh, you know principal states. We are beating President Trump and President Biden among everybody under 45 years old nationally. We're beating them under and with people under 34, 35 years old. We're beating them in independent voters and independence this this time around are the biggest voting bloc. So independence now this is the first time in American history where there are more self-identified independents than either Republicans or Democrats. It's 52 percent of the electorate. So, you know, we're very confident we're doing well in many other demographics. I'm on a two way uh, tie with President Biden among Hispanic voters. And we are increasing. uh, So I'm very confident that we can win.
0: Those parties have so much structure, as you very well know, in terms of get out the vote, all of that. And the money, obviously. So how are you going to compete with them in terms of organization on the ground?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. It's ironic because... They're forcing me to do these ballot access drives, and about which President Biden and President Trump are automatically on the ballot. But we have to spend about 15 million dollars to get onto the ballot, and we have, a, have to have a vast army of volunteers to actually go out and get the signatures. That's forced us to develop organizations in every state long before the principal parties are focused on that. We're going to have. We will take those. 80,000, 90,000, 100,000 volunteers, and as soon as they do the ballot access successfully, we'll flip them around in each of those states to do get out the vote and identification and all the things that we need. So we're going to have an organization in place.
0: What do you say to those who say you're just a spoiler? You were very critical of Ralph Nader back in 2000. You wrote a piece in the New York Times uh, criticizing him and saying that he was going to hurt the environment by handing the election to George W. Bush. So what do you say? Now to those who say that you're in the same position.
1: I, I hope to be a spoiler for both President Trump and President Biden. I hope to take votes from each of them and win the election. So you don't consider yourself a spoiler? No, I'm not in here to, to, to do anything except to win.
0: You know, there's an argument over who you are really pulling votes from. And what do you sense when you have your rallies and your events? I know you just had a big um, comedy night in in Hollywood and Adam Carolla was one of the lead people at that. Are you pulling more from Trump's side or Biden's side?
1: I think uh, think, we're—I don't know any better than what the polls say and also who shows up on our events. So the events seem to be pretty even between Republicans, Democrats and independents. A lot of the people in our polls, a lot of the people in the public polls and also at our events say there are people who are not going to vote. There are people who were uh, alienated or dispossessed from the, who had given up on the political process. And we hear that from people every day, people coming to our events who said, I'd given up, I was, uh, until you came along. I had no hope for the two-party system, and I'm glad to have the alternative. And so, uh, if you look at the public polls, I think I pull a little bit more, maybe a point more from President Trump right now, but it's pretty even.
0: How are you going to compete this summer when, really, people start to focus on the election? You're going to have the RNC convention, the DNC, and Milwaukee and Chicago. What are you going to do?
1: Well, we're going to be doing our, um, right up through the end of August, we're going to be doing our ballot drive. So I think we're going to be in the news every day as we get closer to 50 states. Um, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about news coverage now. In the mainstream media, we've always had problems, but we're, we're, we're prevailing even with ma- mainstream media coverage.
0: So speaking of that, the Rolling Stone just wrote a piece, the big money moguls behind RFK's quest to unseat Biden, talking about Timothy Mellon, who was a huge Trump supporter, who's now your biggest supporter. What do you say in response to that headline?
1: Well, we're getting, I I think we get about equal support from former Democrats and former Republicans and that's what we were shooting for. I'm very proud that people, you know, we need somebody to unite the country and that was what I said I was gonna do when I declared nine months ago. I said we're gonna end the polarization, we're gonna end the division, we're gonna end the rancor and the vituperation and we're gonna find common ground, we're gonna focus on issues that on the values that unite americans rather than on these little issues that divide us and we've been able to do that with the people who are supporting us with their votes but also with the people who are donating so i'm very proud of that
0: president biden was in an ice cream shop with seth miller and he was he was seth martin and he was asked about gaza and he said while eating ice cream oh there's going to be a ceasefire By the weekend. No, not by the weekend, by right after the weekend. And it's not the first time that we've heard him take on serious foreign policy issues in that kind of light environment. We don't hear from him a lot in terms of laying out his thinking on some of these big foreign policy issues. What do you think about his candidacy at this point?
1: I think he needs to come out of the White House and show Americans that he has the cognitive capacity to, and the mental acuity to handle his job at probably the most challenging time now, at least in, in recent American history. We're facing issues that are existential. We're, we're involved in two wars. We have AI coming down, which is gonna change everything, and there's enormous dangers in it. We need a uh, we have an economic crisis in this country where, you know, the middle class is disappearing. It's been torpedoed or 57 percent of Americans can't put their hands on a thousand dollars where an entire generation of kids cannot buy a home. This is a crisis. We need a president who is thinking about these things, who is articulating the solution for the American people, who we all have confidence can take that call at three o'clock in the morning and may
0: not have confidence that he can he can serve.
1: I think he needs to show Americans that that he you know a lot of these decisions are, are, are the products of complex and nuanced thought and those thoughts need to be articulated to the american people in a way that we all support him and i do not think that that's happening now i don't i think a lot of americans and it's not just me saying this it's the national press is calling into question The cognitive capacity of the president. And in that case, you need, for the sake of our our standing in the world, for the sake of the American people, I think he has a duty to come out and have unscripted encounters with voters he needs to talk to his opponents he needs to articulate his vision for this country and how he's gonna handle these and not just do it over an ice cream and say "Oh, I think there's gonna be peace in the Middle East." is you know our our children's lives are dependent on that 3 o'clock a.m. call and we need to know that we have a president who can wake up in the middle of the night and who is on his feet and thinking about those things. And I I don't, I'm not, I don't think, I think a lot of Americans have lost confidence in that. And in fact, I think a lot of Democrats who are supporting President Biden, I don't hear anybody saying to me, I'm voting for President Biden because I think he is the best person for the job and that he can handle the job. And because he inspires me, I think they're voting for kind of a corporate presence you know and the people who are and they're content in some cases with our country being uh, governed by a bunch of anonymous men in lanyards who've never been invent- who've never been elected anything who we don't even know their names who are potentially making these enormous judgment calls that are that are enormously consequential to all of us into the world um, and we don't even know how they think about things. So
0: you're saying you don't think he's actually in charge?
1: You know what? I, I, I have a personal issue, which is my Secret Service protection. And I've known President Biden for 40 years, and he was a friend. Um, he, with all of the issues about you know about him, he was somebody who... I thought at least had a kind of fundamental decency, and the fact I just don't believe that he would have personally made the decision to deny me for secret service protection. I think somebody else is making those decisions and and as you, as you pointed out, there are other decisions that um that it's not clear that he's been fully briefed about that he's he's not articulating precisely what's going to happen what is going to happen in gaza what is the administration doing about it to prevent war to prevent the killing what you know let's let's hear that let's all be able to discuss it and I've never heard President uh, Biden talk about those things. I, I've never heard him defend the war in Ukraine in a way other than just a, a parade of shibboleths and, you know, panaceas as kind of these comic book depictions about what's happening rather than, you know, a real analysis about what is the path to ending this war with the biggest nuclear superpower on Earth? And are we worried about that? And you know all of these very complex issues, like a relationship with China, it's, it, it, his descriptions are very simplistic. They're not part of an. They're not the components of an inspiring vision that we can all ascribe to and all believe in. And what's happening at the border? So how how is he explaining that other than saying it's not happening? And and then walking off the stage with nobody doing a follow-up question, yeah, there are 7 million people who have come across. And is this a good thing for our country? So I think, you know, you need a, a president who's engaged and who can do a repartee and who can take follow-up questions and then answer them intelligently. Let me ask you a follow-up question. (laughs) Um,
0: With regard to Israel, you've been supportive of Israel's battle in Gaza. What about now? Would you be encouraging Israel to stop the bombing in Gaza, or do you support, as Bibi Netanyahu has called for this week, that they have to finish the job and eliminate Hamas?
1: Well, you know, I think Israel, like every other nation, has a right to defend itself. Israel's been under attack by Hamas for 16 years, 2,000 rockets a year under civili- onto civilian populations before October 7th, and then it's absorbing daily rocket attacks from Hamas still, so it is at war. And uh, and uh, in any war, you know, I, I think the world has turned against Israel and it's lost the information, you know, the, these kind of clash of narratives. But I think we have to come down to the fact that Hamas has said we don't want to negotiate. We want only one thing, which is the annihilation of Israel, the extermination of Jews in this part of the world. And that's not a negotiating position. That's a, you know, how how do you negotiate with somebody who, and in fact... Hamas's charter says that it, is, it violates Islamic law to even negotiate with Israel, except as a ruse, as it says in its own covenant. So I think, you know, I'm not a fan of Bibi Netanyahu's. I, I don't think most Israelis are. I think he would be voted out, but I think most Israelis are overwhelmed. Israel is today unified because they feel, in battle, they feel that this is an existential risk to them. Not only allowing Hamas to win this war, to declare victory, the impacts that's going to have on Hezbollah in Lebanon, on Islamic Jihad in the West Bank, on the Houthis in Yemen. So I think it's a, you know, it's a complex issue and it's not easy, but we have to look at what is how do you avoid civilian deaths over the long term, not just immediately?
0: How, how would you deal with that in Michigan? Uh, the vote is tonight for the primary in Michigan, and there's some discussion that Joe Biden, the president, could lose the vote in Michigan based on a stance that's very similar to the one that you just presented, um, because he could lose 200,000 Muslim voters in Michigan. Michigan's a state that you think you just put on the list of one you might be able to win. Is that going to hurt you there? I, it
1: May, among people who are supporters of Hamas, I'm very supportive of the Palestinian people, and I've been to uh, West Bank, I've met with Palestinians all over uh, Israel. I have an organization in, uh, in Israel that is the only organization that has Palestinians and Jews and Jordanians on its board and on its staff. Um, I've had a long history of, and my family has, of supporting Palestinian rights, but I distinguish between Hamas. And the Palestinian people, and I think you know, we need to make that distinction that Hamas is is not the friend of the Palestinian people. Hamas is the abuser of the Palestinian people, and we need to point to the, to Hamas. You know, when we see civilian deaths happening, which are horrific, which are horrific and unacceptable, um, we need to understand that you know that Hamas is at fault. If a if somebody robs a bank and they take a hostage and the police in trying to shoot the bank robber, by mistake, as a shooter injure the hostage, it's the fault of the bank robber. It's not the fault of the police. And, uh, Let me ask you this.
0: With regard to the border, there is a battle on Capitol Hill right now that... Conservatives, many conservatives believe that you should secure the border before you send another dollar to help Ukraine. Do you agree with that?
1: I would not couple those issues, but, but well, what is your question again?
0: My question is: Do you agree with some conservatives who say? not another dollar for Ukraine's defense until we have a secure border here in the United States.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the Ukraine war should be ended. And I think I I wouldn't necessarily couple those issues, but I think the Ukraine war... is a war of choice, um, that it's a war that's easily settled, and that we should not be spending any more money in Ukraine. We need that money here, we need money in Maui, we need money in East Palestine, Uh, we need money for the middle class that's disappearing in this country, and we need to shut down the border.
0: What about, I just have one more question for you. This young woman was killed by a Venezuelan migrant, allegedly, in Georgia the other day, 22-year-old and Riley. She went out for a run. She was killed by this 22-year-old. If someone, he had already broken a law in New York for endangering the life of a child. Then he went to Georgia and, and killed this young woman. Do you believe that any person who has crossed the border and commits a crime should be deported from this country?
1: Of course. Of course they should be deported. And the major thing is to shut down the border, which we can do pretty much overnight. And that, you know, through a combination of policy of reinstating the Migrant Migrant Protection Act, which, which requires people who coming through with asylum claims that their case be adjudicated in Mexico, not the United States. Um, we should end the catch-and-release program and, and have a catch-and-return program at the border. And build a wall? Uh, we need the wall. We need, need, we need a physical barrier, yes, a wall in the urban areas and places where migrants can disappear very quickly, and then we need other infrastructure including monitoring, uh, long-range cameras, lights, fences, and a lot of the other areas. You don't need to put a wall 2,200 miles from Brownsville, Texas to San Diego, but you need monitoring systems. And we had those in place, and the Biden administration dismantled them.
0: Well, there's lots more I'd like to get to. So I look forward to speaking with you again. Robert Kennedy Jr., thank you very much for speaking with us today.
1: Thank you, Martha.
0: The Untold Story continues right after this. Later, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and I sat down with a group of East Palestine locals to discuss how the tragic incident has hit their town and still impacts them deeply over a year later. We are here at the Public Library in East Palestine, Ohio today, and I'm really glad to be joined by five members of the community and also by Robert F. Kennedy, Jr., who is an independent candidate for President of the United States and also for the last 40 years, an environmental lawyer who has been involved in this issue in the town of East Palestine and who was here about a month after it happened. Welcome,
1: Mr. Kennedy. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. We're representing about a thousand families in, you know, in this area, in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, whose lives were upended by this bill.
0: So let's welcome all of you, first of all, here today. And and it's a little over a year since this really upended your lives. I'd love for you to introduce yourselves and just give us sort of a brief Couple of examples of how it has impacted you and how you're doing a year later So let me start with Lori and Wayne who actually are joining us from Pennsylvania today But you're just three and a half miles away, right?
2: Yes, correct. that's correct. Yes.
0: What can you tell us?
2: well when it happened We were dumbfounded. <laughs> we didn't know what was going on but we heard was sirens because we was all in bed Fast forward, we started getting burning lips, watery eyes, nauseated, and dry mouth, dry lips. Fast forward, 18 weeks after the train was blown up, unnecessarily I might add, that's been proven. I was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. So July 10th of 2023, I had to have a double mastectomy. Since then, I've gone through four rounds of chemotherapy. I'm doing pretty, pretty good now. They uh, found a spot in my kidney that they want to look at, so right now, that's where I'm at. Our daughter, who's 24 years old, she's asking us questions like, am I gonna be allowed, can I have children? After this, we don't have the answers. We don't know. She's due to be tested as well uh, next month.
3: She fears cancer. Yeah. She, um, the day after they did the vent and burn, um, she started being nauseated and throwing up daily. Um, they were then tested for uh, vital chloride. And for bed scene, which they both tested, yeah. Wayne and Megan both tested very high. Um, so she's now on medication to prevent her from throwing up every day. Um, you know, and she does, she does ask us, am I going to be okay? Am I going to, you know, am I going to be able to have children? Am I going to get cancer? And we can't answer those questions for her because we don't know.
0: So, Jamie, um, tell us about your situation. You used to live here. You have 47 family members who live in the area. You took your now four-year-old daughter and moved away from here. What has this year been like and what impact has it had
4: on you? It's been a constant year of fighting. Um, You know, we moved away, and like you said, I have 47 immediate family members here, not to mention all my lifetime friends. Uh, You know, my instinct as an educated woman was, you know, my husband said, what are we going to do when they lift the evacuation? I said, we're going to go home. If the EPA says it's fine, it's fine. Uh, You know, I was someone who was taught in school what the EPA is supposed to do, what they do, you trust in your government. I pulled in my driveway that Sunday before the illegal open burn, and I immediately was overtaken by this smell, started coughing, lungs burning, eyes watering. I look over to the creek that runs seven steps from my front door, and I see chemicals openly flowing. Um, I didn't need the EPA. I didn't need a scientist to know that it was not safe to take my daughter back into that home. The health effects that we're seeing within our community, um, my nieces, my mother, my brother, all of them are still ill. You know, when you talk about how it's changed your life, I guess the biggest way it's changed my life is I feel like I've almost been living uh, a fantasy for all these years Mm -hmm. about our government. You know, my grandpa was a World War II Marine. We were very much, you know, you respect your flag, you thank your veterans. Now when I see an American flag, I cry. This is not You know, government for the people, by the people, by the time what's happening with the people on the ground get to the federal level, it's all politics. I knew that our politicians were controlled by money. I didn't realize to the point of sacrificing human lives. Uh, You know, I fail to believe that anyone in the United States could be okay with what's going on here. Um, With children that still are coughing up blood, have unexplained nosebleeds, um, you know, things of that nature. How can anybody, like, where's the humanity in the politics? Uh, You know, while they're fighting up there on the Hill, they're playing politics with my four-year-old daughter's life. That is not okay.
0: Before I get to Linda and Cheney, I just want to play a a soundbite. One of them is from the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. He came, um, responded about 10 days after Uh, We're going to listen to him. And then right after that, this is President Biden, who has uh, just visited recently, about a year later. Let's listen to this.
2: North Southern will pay for this remediation. And uh, the the federal administration will be here to hold them accountable for that and make sure that they are making this community whole. We're going to be here to hear out making our railroads safer making sure Norfolk Southern meets its responsibility—that so That is a promise and one I take very, very seriously. Let me be clear, while there are acts of God, there's an act of greed that was 100% preventable. Let me say it again, an act of greed that was 100% preventable. We you know multi-million dollar railroad companies transporting toxic chemicals have responsibility to do it safely. And again, North southern failed.
5: What's your reaction when you listen to that, Linda? Um. I honestly don't know. I I really don't believe anything anybody says anymore. I don't think anyone is genuine. There has been so much conflicting information, lack of transparency, double speak. Um, Like Jamie was saying, she lives close to the creek. I live close to Leslie Run. Um, My well is about, I'm on a private well. I'm not on city water. It's about 2,300 feet from Leslie Run is where my well is. So I'm not the closest as it goes with residents, to the that waterway. But, um, you know, I watched on February 5th, after the the initial derailment and before the release of the vinyl chloride, everything in that creek was dead. Mm-hmm. I watched the milk-like scum on the water. I watched dead fish, frogs float down that water. I felt my breath get taken away. My, I lost my voice, my eyes, my vision went blurry, and then when you talk to the EPA, who was brought here to help us, we were told that, well, you're just having um, sympathetic symptoms because <clears throat> you're talking to other people who are having <clears throat> those symptoms, and at that point I hadn't talked to anyone. Um, you know, I'm pretty secluded where I live. I hadn't you know, even met with these people at that time, you know, it, it was a scary situation. And you know Biden had gone on to say, as far as that sound clip he he went on to say that we're going to continue receiving the assistance that they've been providing all along we're not getting assistance from local government from county from state from federal we're not getting anything so you're basically what he said is we're going to keep doing nothing is what he said um, and you know this as you know mr kennedy as as an environmental lawyer, you protect something that's irreplaceable. Um, you know, that, that's our environment, that's our waterways, and that's lives. We're in a battle that we didn't sign up to participate in, but we're gonna do the best that we can to fight the double-headed snake of Norfolk Southern and the EPA, because they just keep going round and round. If everybody sits here and you want an answer, and I tell you, point to the person on your left, that's what happens when we ask a question and we want a direct answer we just we just want the truth yes. we just want the truth let me say that mr kennedy
1: yeah i mean i i i like what president biden said that um acknowledging that this is uh, that the that the or, or i i like president biden's pledge that he's going to hold norfolk southern responsible but This occurred because of a failure of government. Norfolk Southern was leading the country in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, and West Virginia in spills for years before this. Norfolk Southern was paying its executives 80% of their salary comes from Reducing costs, that's where their bonuses come from, and they've adopted a very, very dangerous system called precision scheduling Mm -hmm. railroading, which um, means cutting depot time, uh, increasing the the (coughs) length of trains, increasing the speed of trains, Mm -hmm. increasing the weight of trains, cutting safety inspections, cutting safety equipment. Uh, And that's how they make their money, by cutting those costs. And as a result of that, they lead the country, all of the railroads, and the amount of spills that they have, have dozens of spills every year. This is not something that was new. This is because of agency capture. The, The railroad owns the regulatory agency that's Mm -hmm. supposed to be regulating it. Mm -hmm. And the same is true of EPA. Mm -hmm. I've seen EPA on probably over 100 of these kind of spill cases where communities are devastated. And in each case, rather than coming and cleaning up and determining the the real danger to human beings, the EPA's job is to protect the industry to come in and gaslight people. Yes. Mm-hmm. To tell them that yep. there's yes. no problem that you know they, and they can they can rig the way that they take tests so that they find nothing. And they there's are a million they ways are. to take tests where you know the the person who's taking that test and they hire the contractors who know that this is the game. That if they find a problem they 're not going to get another contract from EPA, yep, yes, so they have these you know crooked contractors that come in and take the tests and tell you that there 's nothing wrong and uh, and that you know they, 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 this whole the, the, both the cleanup and the cause are a direct result of agency mm-hmm. capture of a failure of government of the agencies that are are, have been captured by the industries that they're supposed to regulate and their, their job is not to protect public health or safety. Their job is to protect industry profits mm-hmm. and the mercantile ambitions of companies like Norfolk Southern. The, 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 the contaminants that have been released here are horrendously dangerous. Literally, dioxin is the most dangerous chemical that is known to man that is not radioactive. So it's more carcinogenic than anything else. Mm-hmm. It causes severe, severe birth defects at very, very low concentrations. A single molecule can impact male fertility, female fertility, mm-hmm. it yes. can, uh, and it can cause, again, really grievous birth defects mm-hmm. in children. So the questions that your daughter are asking, or are are, you know, are genuine questions that nobody can really answer. But the the risk that she is—I like what you said—that you didn't sign up for this. No. No, sir. No, the company made this choice. Yes. It decided to take a risk by externalizing its (laughs) costs. And shifting its profit projections, its its profit expectations, the risk of achieving those profit expectations to the public, and it rewarded its top executives for cutting costs that it knew would put the public at risk. And the you know the company, uh, you know, I, I, the company should be criminally charged for what it did to this community. It was an act of theft. It stole the property values, it stole the health, it stole the the, the pursuit of happiness from this you know, this wonderful community. Yeah. They stole our lives. Yeah, mm-hmm. it stole the lives of
5: people. And, and yet we um, see Alan Shaw, who comes to visit and walks on our streets, yeah. who he received almost a $4 million raise. 37% raise. How yeah. How is that? how is that justifiable come here and live how we have to live and on what our average income is for a resident of East Palestine and then have your company put our health in danger our property values our livelihood yes. and even if you what if you have to relocate so far away that you you can't keep your job i i don't even know how to navigate this this is mm-hmm. This just doesn't, it doesn't even feel like reality.
0: Cheney, I thought
5: you, all of you were
0: were nodding your heads. But, you know, as you look at, we're now in an election year. As you look at the impact on this community, you think about what matters to you. um, What are you looking for? What, What kind of president, secretary of transportation, what would you have expected from them, and how does that impact, I don't know who you voted for last time around, and you can share that if you like, but how does it impact how you look at this election?
6: You know, uh, we have seen so many people that have come through this community over the last year and um, many of them have been just self-serving. They've used this as an opportunity for their own personal and professional growth and not anything um, genuine. We have seen a few. We have seen a few genuine folks come in that have wanted to help us. Um, But we're so tired of hearing they're gonna make it right. That it's, we want specifics. How are you going to make it right? Mm-hmm. How are they allowed to run their trains before people even came back home um, without any legal you know, process on something like that? How can we believe that they really are going to make it right? We have not seen any firsthand evidence of support um, by any entities. Um, as you know, I'm the director of a nonprofit here, and we have been the boots on the ground in this community. If it wasn't for the people in this country the businesses in this yes. country, supporting mm-hmm. the folks in this, in this village, um, we would have seen no support at all. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. blanket and broad statements of support are not welcomed. They're not well received and they're not believed. So we want to see some specific details.
4: Right. Yes, I think what yes. you were saying about Biden, I mean, it is great that he says he's going to hold Norfolk Southern accountable, but when? Yeah. We've not even received a bottle of water from any level of our government. No, no. And the fact that we've been sitting in these chemicals, our kids have been sitting here for over a year, and they bioaccumulate in your system. Norfolk Southern is not taking care of the residents. They are so focused on the economic recovery. What about the financial devastation that it caused to residents, you know, our human health, uh... It's not a red issue, it's not a blue issue. This is an issue of human lives. Yes. You know, politics has no business in this this issue when it comes to children's lives. You know, and and the thing that I say, kinda what Cheney was saying, boots on the ground, that's the problem, is they don't know what's going on in the ground at the federal level. You know, you have to be connected to the people um, a representation of the community, not just one piece of the community that's handpicked by our mayor. You need to listen to us all because you represent us all. Right. I, I want to ask you a question about 2024 in the, the time that we have left. Uh, Sorry, independent
0: candidate uh, to my mm-hmm. right here, and Trump, Biden, Nikki Haley is still in at this point. You know, how do you all approach? How do you think about the, the next election? What, what are you looking for, Mister? Do I
3: don't vote. Red or blue. I vote person. Mm -hmm. I listen to what they have to say. Mm -hmm. I listen to their ideas, where they want to take the country, and, you know, those kind of things. And, you know, I always say that I don't know until I get into the booth, and that's between God and I, who I vote for. You know, I don't leave anybody out. I mean, I'm a Republican registered, but I've never voted a straight Republican ticket in my entire life. So, and I've been through a lot of elections. So, and I've never voted a straight Republican ticket because, you know, there are a lot of conservative Democrats out there who align independents. Um, you know, so you kind of, like I said, it's between God and I. Once I get in there, you know,
2: you think it through, and then then you place your vote. I could support Mr. Kennedy. I could support Mr. Trump. Right. I voted Trump last last time. We need. champion. That's what we need. We need a champion. We need somebody who is not afraid to stick their neck out for us. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's what we need. Whether it be Mr. Kennedy or Mr. Trump, okay. You know, I'm wide open. I'm wide open.
0: The Untold Story continues right after this. Let me ask you a question, Mr. Kennedy. If this happened and you were president, what would what would you do on on day one? Do you evacuate the, the town? Do you let people go back? What do you do?
1: Well, it, 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 preliminarily, we need to unravel the corporate capture at DOT that allowed this to happen. And you know, right now, he, you know, President. Biden says that he's going to fix this problem and hold them responsible. Why isn't the attorney general investigating this mm-hmm. and, yep. and filing criminal charges? This is a crime. What happened right. here? This whole mm-hmm. town is a crime scene. Somebody should be and corporate executives will not respond because they're going to internalize this and make it the cost of doing business. Mm-hmm. We need a we need a government that is actually holding corporations responsible. Mm-hmm. In terms of once it happens, you've also got another capture agency, which is EPA. What I would do is I'd make sure that the people who are running this investigation were actually telling the truth to the public. That's the main thing.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That'd be nice.
1: you you, You come in, you do actual testing, you look for the problems you don't look for ways to avoid finding problems. Yes. And EPA, you know, should've come in here and done real testing. The people who actually did the testing for EPA should be fired. Because their yes. job and they know yep.
6: it was to lie to yes. the people of this mm-hmm. town and to gaslight the people in this town to,
1: to pretend to them to normalize the contamination and pretend everything was okay. Yes.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: And that put everybody's lives at at risk in this town it 's the opposite of what you want a regulatory agency to do and then I would make Norfolk Southern come and clean up every molecule of dioxin that they put in this neighborhood. It was their choice to do it there's nobody there's and what they're going to say is that's too expensive. Well, that's the choice you
5: made. That's mm-hmm. the risk you took. Mm-hmm. And
1: there's nobody here who asks for dioxin on their property. Mm-hmm. There's nobody who has, should have to endure that. Their children are going to be paying, playing in that yard. There's children, if they sell the home, those children are going to be playing in that yard. And, you know, if, if the executives of Norfolk Southern. Antioxidant on their property, they should add it themselves at home. Agreed. They mm-hmm. should not impose it. It is a trespass. It is a chemical trespass mm-hmm. that they're imposing on unwilling people, and we don't do that in America. If You, you have a right to use your mm-hmm. property in any way you see fit, but you can't do it in a way that is going to injure or diminish the use and enjoyment of other people's property. And that's what the EPA Mm -hmm. is supposed to be, protecting those property rights. This is a violation of the basic, fundamental property right and the right of use and enjoyment of your property and the pursuit of happiness. All of the constitutional guarantees that we have are being systematically Mm -hmm. violated here. And and we need to actually... Criminally prosecute people who are responsible.
6: I, I want to get a couple of questions in for yeah. you. Do you have a question? Well, for you me, know, Hannah? I'd just like to say that what I'm excited about you and in running in, in 24 is that you have a loyalty to the people, not a loyalty to right. the party. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we are injured people here. And if I could ask for any kind of guarantee um, for the village and for my family here, is that we're not forgotten. What we want in this community now is some measure of peace of mind and we're not getting that peace of mind. We're continually traumatized. Where would that peace of mind come? Indoor air testing. I was opposed to it at one point, I'll be honest, because I thought, how could you possibly have a controlled environment that you could compare data from one day to the next? Um, But that is a level of peace of mind that is gonna cause a lot of ease here. So that's an easy solution. Long-term medical testing Baseline medical testing, you know, so many of our residents have been humiliated going to their doctors, um, treated as though these symptoms that they're having are not valid or that they can't diagnose them. So let's get to a baseline of something here so that two, five years from now, we have something to compare that to. These are just basic Peace of mind things that I feel like those are things when we say, don't give us a blanket statement, give us a guarantee mm-hmm. that you can give us these most basic needs that really should be addressed t- today. And, I, and our lawsuit is designed,
1: one of the objectives of our lawsuit is permanent lifetime medical monitoring for everybody who lives in this community. You know, what happens in these, in these, it, what happens in these situations, Martha, is that the EPA is not doing its job, and it's not, and people realize, oh, this is a problem that nobody's taking seriously. It's not actually the dioxin, the vinyl chloride, the phosgene, the hydrochloric, or the hydrogen cyanide, the hydrogen chloride are not going to be removed. We're going to be stuck with it. And so what is my interest then in knowing that the government is not going to do its job it's to go along with it and to pretend it doesn't exist because if i actually continue complaining about this my property rights are going to nose dive. yeah so everybody in the yeah, community co-conspirators that's exactly what you've all talked about once they realize that's the government idea. is not going yeah. to do its job then they all take this omerta this vow of silence, we're not going to talk about mm-hmm. this because it's going to hurt us. And that's the game. That's the game that the agencies play, is that they can stop these people from complaining by uh, by
4: involving them in the conspiracy to hide the contamination. And It's just, you know, the whole thing is so corrupt. And mm-hmm. from beginning to mm-hmm. end. Yeah. See, that so man knows what he's a, talking what about. Questions. Linda, do you have
0: a question for Mr. Kennedy as a candidate? <sighs>
5: um... I don't I don't know that I do I think that what you know the long-term medical monitoring is important I think lifetime health care should be provided to, to to follow us wherever we may go um, and I don't have a question I could ask you you know what are what would you do what what will you do uh, but I'm not gonna get my hopes up because it's a year later and I just feel like I've been drugged through the dirt. But I will tell you that what you're doing now is amazing. And to take the time to speak with us and to hear us is more than, than we typically get. And that you're saying the things that you're saying, I mean, internally, I'm screaming like yes, yes, because you're you're nailing it. That's exactly what is what is going on here, and we just feel muffled. You know, I, I go through every day feeling like I have a wet blanket thrown over me. Um, you know that i, I don 't know how to be happy anymore i don 't know how to look forward to my future anymore. I have a twenty year old daughter i 'm extremely concerned about her she 's already having menstrual issues that she never had before um, you know i want to be a, I want to be a grandparent and when when you think of the magnitude that, that this might affect you. You know, I don't even know what question to ask. How do you fix that?
2: It's generational. It's going to be generational. Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, Jamie, do you have a final thought there? I just
4: wanted to say just the fact that you're sitting there talking about the people. Yeah. Like, that's what we need in our politics is we need the humanity back, yes. um, you know, the just the genuine care for other people, those old school morals and values. Yes. Yes. We need to uphold our Constitution and look at what our forefathers wanted this country to be. We need a politician that's truly going to represent the people and not their own pocket. And just from what I heard him say within the last couple minutes, you have said more than any other politician that has been here yeah. to visit. You know, and and that is important. It's important still having that contact with the people. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you.
1: you. I mean what I would love to see President Biden say is to come in and say, you know, this happened because of a failure of government. This happened because these agencies are captured, they're corrupt and I'm not going to tolerate it anymore, and I'm going, to, I'm going to expose the people and fire the people who are not doing the proper testing. I'm going to prosecute the people who were responsible at the outset instead of kind of a vague promise that we're going to take care of everybody and then not yeah. even...
0: right. Lack of accountability is something that we hear, I'm hearing from, from all of you. Yes. Um, not we have even to a wrap it up, of water. but Did you have a, a quick final thought there?
2: There's a de- decoration on his desk right now. To declare this a national disaster. He has yet to sign it. Would you sign it? Yeah.
1: I, not only will I sign it, but I'm going to unravel. And if I get elected in November, I'm going to find the people who are responsible for this. And I'm going to identify them. I'm going to let the public know who they were. I'm going to dismiss them from the agencies. I'm going to prosecute people criminally. Because if EPA comes in here, I'm gonna ask the people personally who did this testing, why did you look for dioxin four feet under the soil you know it's only gonna penetrate four centimeters? (laughs) Why were you doing that? Who told you to do that? Who told you to avoid finding stuff? I'm gonna find out who those people are and I'm going to hold them responsible. Thank we you. have
4: a list of names for you, Mr. Kennedy. You don't <laughs> even have to find them yourself. <laughs> we got you. <laughs> Please remember. Yes.
0: I want to thank all of you uh, for joining you. us thank today. You. Uh, thank thank you. you all for thank your time and sharing your stories here. Um, there's nothing like meeting people who have been through this firsthand uh, and helping all of us understand your story. So thank you. And Mr. Kennedy, thank you for being thank you us very
3: today.
2: Much, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for thank, 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 thank you.
0: Thank you. That is all for this episode of The Untold Story. Thanks so much for being with us today. We will see you next time. I'm Martha McCallum. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.